Hello and welcome back to Making It. My name is Mirabelle and today we have Stephen Letness on the podcast. I first met Stephen last year at the Vancouver International Film Festival AMP Accelerator Program. Not sponsored, but I feel like based on how many times I've said this this season of, you know, I met so-and-so at VIF last year, I think I should be. (laughs) Stephen is a film composer who has worked on various short films, documentaries, feature films, and he is a huge advocate for this disabled community as he is a blind composer. So we talk a lot about that in this episode, the advocacy work he does with his organizations, which includes Able Artist Foundation, One in Four Coalition, and Ramped recording artists and musicians with disabilities, and links will be in the description for all of these. We dive into communication, whether that's with a director or filmmaker or just in general. I think we explored a lot of interpersonal relationships in this episode and how that affects the industry and the way that we work. We get into validation and imposter syndrome, all super important topics, I think, as it sheds light on how different individuals react to these things. I think through the talk that Stephen did at VIF and throughout this episode, getting to talk to him and get to, getting to know him more, it's opened up my perspective on disabilities and musicians with disabilities and all of that. Because I think as a society, we tend to shy away from people who are different from us, right? So of course we get into all of this in the episode, but having talked to Stephen about not only music, which is the thing that connected us in the first place, but learning more about about all of this was very insightful. Anyway, if you couldn't tell from this introduction, this episode is pretty packed and it is a longer one, so I hope you enjoy. And as always, please rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening, leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube, or follow me, follow Making It on all the socials. I'm posting daily clips on everything, everywhere, and I would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. I've also seen that Spotify has this Q&A thing that you can respond to, but I have no idea how that works. But if you'd like to help test it out, I would love that. Okay, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Welcome to Making It. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, I have met a lot of the season's guests from VIF, a lot of the composers who gave panels and the breakout sessions and everything. And you were, you did that also. You were there. I was. It was a great trip. It was a great one. It was a great talk with, uh, with everybody. It was a good town hall discussion type thing and it really it made me kind of emotional for some reason I like I can't really nail why but it made me really emotional emotional and inspired to hear from you guys and you know hear about all of your experiences so that's cool (laughs) so you found the town hall emotional that uh, me and Hamish and Joe or John sorry uh, me Hamish and John that we did Mm mm-hmm Ah, emotional. Tell me. Emotional. What, what was emotional about it? Because, I mean, I was pretty ginned up, but, like, just, I was pretty enthused to, to, to be there with everybody. But what did you find about that? That Did you ever identify that? Um, I was thinking maybe just because 
how open you guys are about you know your experiences and yeah talking so much about your experiences aside from like the process of film composing because we got a lot of that as well which was it was really helpful but you know hearing about the disabilities and and the grief and the loss and the 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 struggles that you guys are going through um but also like how that never stopped any of you to get to where you are now so it seems like we could do it too <laughs> right yep yep it's uh, mm-hmm. i've often heard a number of composers say last person standing but i tend to you know it's it's the you know, last person working really it's mm. i don't know I, uh <clears throat> there are a few ways we could go down that but yeah i i felt for uh uh, for for the other for the folks telling their stories, and I really liked that there seemed to be an abundance of questions. Oh yes, from from the composers in the audience, because uh, that's how do you verify engagement? And so it's nice to have so many people activated and and open. I mean, I couldn't believe how many people revealed their disability in that town hall. Hmm. Um, and that's the power, in my opinion, I mean, that's the power of vulnerability and, and removing stigma that disability somehow to some people they think is bad. Yeah. It's just, it's a part of you. Um, and, uh, it makes for different interesting challenges, but you know, there's no candor is something that I think is needed, especially in like these post-production worlds of music, composing, visual effects, editing. It's just, mm-hmm. there, there's so little candor and there's a lot of fluff out there about shooting for the stars. And if you can dream big, um, you can be it. And all, I mean, all these, before I get into it, I'll just say it's, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of just digging in the dirt. Uh, but maybe we could find a, another area because I don't think that's where you were going with that question, were you? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. It goes wherever it goes. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting. To, that's also part of it, just to see where the conversation goes. Because I think I can start off with a question or start off with a topic, but you know, wherever it takes us is where it goes. It's exciting. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you found the town hall uh, valuable and, and emotional um, mm-hmm. rather than just just pipe dreams and just, you know, kind of, well, what would you put it? Just it, yeah. it's like uh, there are too many composers out there who either pretend no one else can do it. Um, like they're really they really preserve their mm-hmm. position, uh, which is no good. Mm-hmm. It just. I'm glad you had a good time. I, I, I'm glad you did. I, I'll just let me just end there. I'm, I'm a little scatterbrained today. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. Curious to know, like, you are legally blind, right? You are a blind composer. And as you were saying with, like, the stigma around disabilities, I think lots of people would just assume that being blind maybe the biggest obstacle or adversity you've had to face but is that true or maybe are there other things how has how's your journey been well i've been i'll tell you i've been thinking a lot about the journey 
um, because in all these meetings, whether they're uh, music-related, film-related, uh, industry-related, uh, disability rights-related within the, the industries, industries in which I work, um, there seems to be a, this notion from people that if they identify the one thing or the one person or the one rule, the one bit of info that not that you'll win, but that the floodgates will open and things will be clearer. Uh, and it's sad to say, it's like, it's, it's nothing like that. It's, it's never, never like that. And it's not supposed to be. Um, and I don't know how that, those dreams like that come up, but like, I was having a conversation about a, a film that um, that that were one of one of my organizations is supporting, um, and it's a it's a film related to disabilities coming out in March, um, and it, it's a Woody Harrelson film, and they were looking to us to like, hey, you know, you know this, you know, it has to do with disability. Can you can you take a look? And you know, we were evaluating. Well, what could we do with this? And just the of oh, 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 what our role is, and there's no one thing um, that's going to make something successful. Okay, how can I put this? Because it, this has been on my brain, Mirabelle. It's just it's it's been on my brain because like as a as a composer with a disability, I'm blind. Um, you know, ninety two percent of people classified as blind have some type of usable vision. Um, it's about eight percent of blind people who uh, uh, do not have any yeah, usable vision at all. Um, and part of the reason why I think I was looking for you know, kind of singular answers, um, you know, singular solutions was because um, a lot of the time I, I get tired because as a blind guy, like the, I live in a world that wasn't made for me. And so like, I get exhausted um, or, I, or I exhausted is a harsh word, but like even just going, I live downtown in Minneapolis and like, and even going downtown and crossing a few streets or walking through the buildings is just, it's more brain power than I want to put on, on right. something. It's like, it's a efficiency as composers, as you know, we, we work efficiently mm -hmm. and there are certain challenges with some disabilities that make efficiency rather challenging. And so when I was getting into film, I certainly didn't think it was easy, but I always kind of hoped that there was that one person out there who had just that one nugget that would, you know, she would open my eyes to, oh, so this is how the industry kind of works and that the flowers would bloom and, and, and it just, it's dirty it's yucky it is a it, it is a oh what is the word it's a, a, a conjunction it's a team effort within yourself <laughs> <laughs> it's like all yeah. these pieces it's a jigsaw puzzle and like everybody's looking to identify what you know composers what's their journey because maybe i can mimic that when you know nobody should right. be doing any of that <laughs> what younger composers should be doing, or, or starting composers, because I didn't start when I was super young, hmm. was, okay, that piece from Hans Zimmer is very valuable. Nothing in my life is like his, and I don't need it to be, 
or oh, I like that Pinar does this really cool thing with her MIDI editing. I'm going to use that in my basket. And I just think there's this trans, we superimpose ourselves onto people in positions that where we want to be. And it's just, I, I think they're, it's too narrow a field to think that way. Hmm. It's just, Mirabelle, your journey is going to be yours. I mean, it's, I, I think, you know, my journey is mine. Um, and and oh, I was just thinking about this as I was picking up a package from the mailroom. I was like, Hollywood runs differently inside than, you know, I think certain people might see from the outside. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's run, you know, it's they're, you know, Fortune 500. It's, it's business, 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 business. And so it's like we have this image of Hollywood. We have this image of what it's like to be a composer, to work in the industry. And there's some, some luxuries there. But as we all know, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of tough work. But it's like we're not taught which way we should be. There's like there's the, the outside composer and the inside composer and then the in, in Hollywood composer. Wait, what do you mean by outside and inside? Um, well, I think, well, like when I, I guess I can put this in, in the way I started, like the, when I started, I was looking for, Ooh, well, maybe I could follow, uh, like a Dean Ogden's journey or, or Brian Ralston's journey. Cause that seems kind of similar or, Oh, this person wasn't from LA so I can do it like they did. Um, and it, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. I'm from Minnesota. I know, I knew no one in the business. I have no mentors. I have no education for for music and like undergraduate work. I have no master's degree. I haven't been uh, an assistant for any A-listers. I haven't worked on games. I haven't done any of that. That you're that, that is a typical whatever, right? And so yeah. we have this idea of what we think we should do, and then maybe we get a piece of how things work as we get more experience. But then when you get into a studio, like like an independent film, you get a feel for, okay, this is how independent film works. All right. I'm getting my, my, myself, I'm gathering, okay. Independent film budgets challenge. We have to be a a Jack or Jill of all trades when it comes to Mm -hmm. films and do multiple things. And then like, now I haven't worked in the studio system, but I know studio composers and I work with, um, the studios themselves, like, uh, you know, with, 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 uh, for my disability advocacy, which is something we could get into. But, you know, it's once you see it from the other side, from from a boardroom, from a pitch meeting room, from the presentations or the ridiculous amount of Zoom meetings that you and mm-hmm. me and even and everybody in L.A. has everybody in the street has these dull Zoom meetings. You, you begin to realize, oh, I haven't been trained to work in corporate America. Yeah. And, we got into composing not to work in corporate America. Yeah. <laughs> so there's an irony. There's almost like a couple levels of learning that you must allow yourself to be ready to experience. And I think mm-hmm. last person to, to, and I don't like last person standing thing because there are tons of wheelchair users and I, <laughs> and I try not to be ableist um, mm-hmm. as, as much as I can. Like, the last person to, to, to make it, I think not only does it have to do with time, but tears, T-I-E-R-S, tears of experience and how much you're willing to 
retrain yourself um, to learn, oh, okay, well, this level is more casual. Oh, this level is a little more formal. This level, oh, this is a weird level. This is where the parties <laughs> happen. And then, oh, this is the level where everybody dresses nice, but you have to get right to business because nobody has time for garbage. All right. And I think it's you, you must be willing to not only expand your tools as a composer, but also how do you deal with corporate Hollywood? How do you deal with independent films? How do you deal with film festivals? How do you deal with production as opposed to your friend and she hires you because like she's got 5,000 bucks, but she needs you to write the music and mix the music and do a little uh, isotope RXing of the dialogue because, <laughs> you know, the train went by, um, you know, so it, you must be adaptable and understand that you must be ready to, to, to switch. And then you, you add disability onto that and that adds some layers. And so I think for, for disabled people working in this industry, I understand we're all looking for clean lines, um, smooth tracks in some areas to, um, to help ease the, the journey, but mm -hmm. it, it's just, it's just not going to be. Um, well, like Tony, like it was, it was great. Uh, speaking of uh, Vancouver International Film Festival, I just had a meeting with, with Tony. Um, I got to get Tony on here. He's been mentioned so often. Oh, has he from the, the composers that you've interviewed? Yep. Yep. Um, he's, he's a great guy. And I just had a, a meeting with him yesterday. Um, and, and it's just, it's, I love that guy. Sony's great. Mm -hmm. Viff is great. Are you going to go back this year? Um, probably if I can. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They, they pick like it's a limited, um, like they have a number of spots. That's right. Yeah, it's true. Also, it's just months and months away. So I haven't even thought about it yet. <laughs> well, where are you from? Alberta. Okay. Okay. Got mm -hmm. it. Got it. Well, it'd be cool. It'd be nice. Uh, nice if you're there and see some faces and I mean, hopefully I go, I mean, we're already discussing that, um, that I'll be back. Um, oh, sweet. And we're looking at just what we can do differently to to expand VIF to, to be more accessible, especially for composers with disabilities, because that's my mm -hmm. that's my fight. That's my dream. Yeah. When you you talked about um, how they brought you onto this team for this uh, for this film surrounding disabilities thing, do you feel pressure to you know have to represent all disabilities? all disabled people well for that job? Do you feel any sort of pressure in that way? Yes. Uh, and, um, and, I'm, and I'm not the only one. It's, it's something that I coined this phrase like a, a bunch of years ago, but I feel like disabled people are, we are reluctant ambassadors no matter what, no matter where we go, whether I'm getting my my whole bean coffee ground um, and, you know, working with with the person behind the counter or ordering a meal or uh, just just anything, even pretending like this, like right now I'm pretending to to see you on screen so that your your viewers can see my full face. Such as it is, folks. Sorry. This is where my hand is. That's where I got to be to see you clearly on my screen. I see. I got to be an inch or two away mm -hmm. to, to, to see like 
oh, your hair seems dark. Okay, <laughs> sweet, peace. Um, I got to be super close to my screen. Hmm. So yeah, it, it's, it's exhausting because you might be the only person with a disability that that person runs into for years or ever. I didn't have actually, um, I didn't know if I had any disabled friends for a long time because um, a lot of people would hide it. Um, and I was everybody's disabled friend, right? Um, and so, yeah, I felt like I had to represent, okay, so this is when they see Steve or when they talk to Steve, well, it's blind Steve. Um, so, you know, I have to kind of be a little diplomatic. Um, mm-hmm. I guess iron, yeah. But that's also why I've become more of a direct communicator one of the mm. one one of the things that like um, I got a lot of um, composers from Viv Amp to come up to me and say, "Hey, I appreciate your brutal honesty, <laughs> brutally honest, Steve. Like that's I really appreciated that you said that." And I was I was I was thankful because you know you're spending six days with strangers and hopefully what you have to say is of some value, and then all the money Sony spent to fly you know you know us up there like is it worth it? Where is their value? But it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because everybody would say you're brutally honest. I'm like, why is it brutal? Why does it have to be a backhanded compliment? Right. <laughs> and, and I thought about it. And I seriously thought about all those comments for weeks. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I know why. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. She's a psychiatrist, a clinical psychiatrist. And she said, Steve, you're not brutally honest. You call it direct communicator. And I explained to her, I am a direct communicator because with limited sight, Oftentimes, all I'm going to have are your words, Mirabelle. Right. I'm not going to have your winks, your smirks, your, Mm -hmm. like, side eye, like, when's this dude going to shut up? Like, (laughs) I don't have often uh, those cues to tell me, all right, back off, Steve. You can settle down. Time for someone else. And Mm -hmm. so... I like to use a lot of plain language and borderline aggressive language that, that you heard because I need people to understand this is how I communicate because I need you to communicate in a similar way. So I do not misunderstand you one bit. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. It's just what I have to go on, but Mm -hmm. also in my opinion, as somebody with a disability in this industry, I also operate as a direct communicator out of a, an abundance of urgency. Yeah. We don't have time to, to goof off um, all the time. Um, mm. We don't have time to just be too casual about stuff. And so direct communication is the, the quickest way I know how to get from point A to point B so I can get the job done, get paid, um, doing what I love and advocating for disability in Hollywood. It's urgency is another part of direct communication. But the primary reason why I'm a direct communicator is truly because all I have are your words. If I can get you to match kind of how I speak, 
I know I'll be able to match what you want from me. Yeah, I've never thought about that before because there there are so many subtleties in in when you're communicating with somebody and like the facial expressions and the and the body language and all of that and yeah, you're 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 right. I've never really thought about that. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's uh, it's we all think on different things, and I've just had mm-hmm. ton of years to sit and stew on this about <laughs> whether, whether I like it or not, Mirabel. Yeah, has that ever caused any sort of conflict when, like, working with a director or somebody who might not understand that that's what you need from them, and that's how you communicate? Um. No, because I'm a really good diplomatic direct communicator. <laughs> yeah. Because direct communicator doesn't necessarily mean brutal honesty. Yeah. It just means economy of words, um, choosing which words. Um, but I'll tell you, there's there's a lot of corporate speak in the business, which mm. just drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> and But it's just like like... Let's circle back or let's table that. And mm. we all kind of know what that means, kind of, but also we all have our own version of what that might mean. And so if I can stay away from words like that when I'm talking with somebody who's interested in hiring me, I will. Or instead of saying, let's table that, I'll say, well, how will we talk about this at our next meeting in a week? Mm. Um, so that there are multiple points of clarity, multiple points of clarification, you know, like, I don't know, like as a, I see composing as a counselor. Um, Oh yeah. You know, is that how, when I say that, I heard that in your voice. What what did that make you think of? You seem Um, to respond to that. I was more interested to hear what you had to say about that. (laughs) Oh, okay. It just sounded like you had this like, oh yeah. Actually, this this happens this happens a lot where I say something and I guess the intonation of it is or the inflection is a certain way that it's perceived by others differently than how I I you know thought it was presented. <laughs> oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, just, just that just now just uh, reminded me of of that where sometimes that happens where you know it. it something that I say might be a question and they're like, they thought it was an answer or I have like an end to a phrase, but I end it with it going up. So it sounds like a question, but I didn't mean for it to be a question. It just sure. happens. <laughs> it does. Well, you know, it's a, in, in all parts, parts of the world. I, I mean, it's like in Minnesota, you know, the mm. way we say things, you know, might have certain connotations or, um, yeah, it's just regional, just fun with dialects. Yeah, um, no, but I was thinking like what you were, as soon as you mentioned, you think of composing as like a counselor. I was, my brain just started going off about like, how might that be? <laughs> well, sure. Well, it's, I'm also imposing one of my, in another life, I would have liked to have been either a, a psychiatrist or a hostage negotiator. Oh wow! And like, and I'm not kidding. Like, it's it's a, I like I understanding both sides and coming to an accord. Like that is fun for me. 
uh, mm. to see why people don't get along or people are arguing and see where the, the common ground is. Um, see. But like when you're talking to a director and they don't know the language of music, you know, like it's uh, yeah. you're looking for keywords and you're looking for what they're saying through what they're not saying. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of that. Like um, some directors are really good at saying what they're actually putting on screen and some are letting their art <laughs> speak for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, which is what I think some composers feel like, well, the music speaks on my behalf because I don't like to jump out and talk and be a big communicator. And so it's the same thing happens with other people in, in certain productions. And so you have to understand their language. If you're ever not sure about something, always be prepared with an open-ended question. Make sure mm -hmm. they're talking more than you. They're looking for information from you, but I've always found the desired result to be in film anyway, you're really interviewing them to help them understand where they're coming from. They, they think they're interviewing you, but you're actually, you're interviewing them how you're going to work with them because they may not have, have the language. And so you need to, again, have multiple points of contact. Can you ask a certain question a couple of different ways to get a better answer? Because if they don't know the language of music, you need to understand what they mean and it's like here's an example i worked on a project a couple of years ago it was only like a 15 minute short film um and the people who hired me said we don't want any melody <laughs> we don't want oh. orchestra we want hybrid we want sound design you know that mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. and so i delivered to them most of what they wanted, but I knew this wasn't right because what they thought of their film was the, the story arc of the film was not who they think the story arc of the film was. Oh. <laughs> and now, this is in my opinion, my opinion okay. of watching this, because you understand that, okay, you're serving a director producer's vision for what they want for the film, but that doesn't necessarily always mean that they know what that is hmm. and yeah. what i'm getting at is mirabelle you have experience too and you might watch a film and say okay they think this person is the real steals the show but i'm looking at this and i think the other person is stealing the show and i can't square the whole hmm they want all this music for this other person. And I think the music belongs over here and yeah. they're hiring you for your experience and for your opinions, not for you to be the person to just dump some MIDI under their score. If that's just going to go <laughs> straight to, you know, straight to the, straight to their own personal website as a real it's. So you also need to know when to go away and just not, mm -hmm. not take a job. And that's why I always ask more questions than they do. And I always make sure they're talking more than I am. Do you have like, do you have a set of questions that you always ask? Nope. It's different depending on yep. every different person, different project. Yep. Everybody's okay. different. Depends on how we came across one another. Was it a connection? I mean, I've had people cold email me for, for jobs, um, but that's rare. That is yeah. so ridiculous ridiculously rare <laughs> i remember once matt bowdler from the unfinished do you use any of, or do you know who the unfinished is 
I do not. Okay. Well, he's a big synth programmer guy. He's amazing. And uh, okay. Matt Bowdler, he, I remember like seven, ten years ago, he said, you know, I've never gotten a, I, I would go to theaters and I would sit and see my name come up on the screen. I thought, man, I'm going to get so much work from this. He's like, mm. I have never gotten work from having my name in credits. <laughs> mm. It just doesn't happen. I'll, I'll, you know, it, and, and it doesn't. I have never, ever gotten a job because somebody saw my name on a card in a film. Or it's rare. That's not, I should say, it, it is in my experience. And I think that's what I need to preface every answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not how it works. It's always through networking, connecting, working on other stuff, uh, supporting people in other ways. Uh, it doesn't even have to be through composing, but you get, mm. you know, one of my favorite people to work with, I knew them for four years before, you know, I got to work on a project with them. Oh, wow. So it was a slow burn. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people in the industry are that way. Like one of my buddies, best buddies, he's a, a, a picture editor. And he got a call two years after he met one person from the Editor's Guild in Hollywood to work on a feature because the guy remembered him and just, they liked, they liked him. And so they just yeah. remembered and called him after two years. <laughs> it's like, just because you know people in the business doesn't mean you get jobs. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what everybody thinks. Well, once I, if I know this person, I can get in the door here. Um, yeah. You know, they're going to open the door for me. Um, no. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it is nothing, 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 nothing <laughs> like that. So. How did you, cause you, did you say you grew up in Minneapolis? Is that where? Well, it's where I live. I'm from Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, like how, cause I mean, I don't know what the music scene or the film scene is like there, but I'm would would it be wrong to assume it's not huge? <laughs> <laughs> Almost none like, of I'm my just, work comes from Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like how you went about networking then, if that if that's such a huge part of this industry. Um, everybody's going to be different. And I mean, I first started with, you know, going on the VI controls and scorecast, whatever is, I don't know if they still have those. I know that VI control. <laughs> um, do you visit any composer forums or discords or anything like that? No, I, I only like in the last year joined the screen composers guild of Canada. Um, and like have been slowly finding some different organizations and stuff, but no, I haven't really been in any of those. Good. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is, I mean, don't get me wrong. I spent a lot of time on those, but I didn't engage a lot. I was a lurker mm -hmm. because I didn't want to get bogged down in talking gear which string library is the best? Who has the best, you know, mixed bus chain and mm -hmm. get into arguments with people half my age who are going to tell me I'm an idiot oh. because I put my brick wall limiter before such and such. So it's like oh. I, I go on, I get the information I need and I buzz off mm -hmm. because uh, I'm not looking to work with other composers. 
Right. I'm looking to work with directors and producers. I have very few composer friends. So, it, and that's, and, and it's fine to have, you know, community. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Again, my perspective. <laughs> I have way more um, people in the film industry um, who work in management, agents, uh, studios, producers, directors, um, and I know a lot of them uh, who have a disability. And mm. so, like, my community is disability. I see. Um, because that's where I knew I could do the most good. I couldn't do the most good as a composer in the composer community. Um, mm. Because there's nobody like me out there, or who I, who I thought. <laughs> I thought there was yeah. nobody out there. And so, like, why am I going to go to these groups when, like, man, my screen magnifier on Windows 10 sucks when I'm using Cubase version 11.2. Oh. <laughs> um, like, hey, anybody familiar with accessible technology can help me with why this happens? Right. Um, nobody. Nobody <laughs> has ever been able to answer my own questions about accessibility tools when it comes to music because they're not out there. Right. Where are the components? I mean, there's not a ton of accessible stuff out there even. I mean, nobody makes a GUI. Nobody makes a OXM Native Instruments complete control. There are very few interfaces that are screen reader accessible. Hmm. Um, now, I don't need a screen reader all the time, but sometimes it'd be nice. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it's a pain in the butt, and everybody thinks they have the most ingenious GUIs for, for their data, I'm like, this is stupid. This is mm -hmm. like, everybody thinks they're smart and I just need to find, streamline my, my work. And all these cited mm -hmm. developers of sample libraries are just willy-nilly and I really could use some streamlining to help my work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, curious how you work around DAWs and stuff then. Well, it just it just sometimes it takes a little more time, as you know. Okay. Like it's for composers writing music, it's only like five percent of your work. So <laughs> the rest of it's editing and spotting and and redoing and revisions and and you know the actual melody writing, you know, takes ten minutes. Like like it's just mm -hmm. it doesn't take long, um, or it doesn't have to take long before the other borderline administrative composer work kicks in. Mm, yeah. But you just, however you need to, you get efficient with your tools. I've got, you know, stuff, just muscle memory, and I don't have to look at stuff to do stuff to help mm. me out. But, but, but I think, but I, but I want to go back to this other thing about composing, like uh, yeah. people, like if that's your, if that's your team, that's your team. Like, like hang out with your composers, composer friends. I just realized there wasn't anybody out there that, who would understand what I was going through. Um, in the composer world and but there were people in the disability world and mm. so I have those types of friends because like when I was up at VIF you know Sony like they flew up like 20 different working composers right yeah um, I I spent time with one of them Oh yeah. Yep. Um, it was uh, the the documentarian, documentary writer. What's her name? Um, Miriam. Yeah. Yeah, we had her on um, 
this season of the podcast too. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Oh, she's great. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. We had like this composer dinner and I was busy talking to Tony during the this dinner and the head of the of the film festival to make the film festival accessible for mm. people with disabilities. I was like, well, hey, how is VIFF with accessibility? Yeah. <laughs> right? That's so even though I'm there to work to mentor and support you and others, I'm still there, you know, two fisting it with, yeah. hey, not only am I here to 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 support underrepresented composers, but also I need to make this festival more accessible for disabled people. So mm. like I don't I don't want to make time for for people that won't get help me get the job done not where i need to go but to where the job needs to get done but if that's your group that's your group um but just remember they're not paying you composers aren't paying you it's true where's the network for for those people so do you get involved like this goes back to your original question well how the heck did you network steve you don't know anybody you know and well in minnesota and what happened Mm -hmm. was all my work is from elsewhere um, mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, I did some forty-hour film festivals. Yeah, I did um, some uh, a couple tiny, you know, local things. But you know, every the other the 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 substantive work that I did was from L.A., Atlanta, overseas. And a friend of mine, um, this how do I put this? A friend of mine married somebody who was. Uh, they had a couple roles, but like they weren't like a working actor mm-hmm. and they had an acting school. So, um, so they were teaching kids how to act. And so that's how I cut my teeth was short films, just writing like two minutes of music for a five minute short film and then doing that 30 times <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in a couple weeks. So like, that's how you cut your teeth and all the while you're working on those. And over, over years, you just get connected with other people and just working on other jobs because you don't have to compose on each film. (laughs) You know, you could be like, oh, you don't need a composer. Oh, well, what, what would you like support with? How can I help you? Mm. Oh yeah, I can carry your lights. Sure. I'd love to come on set. Yeah. Let me help you this way. You know, have you ever done that before up in Alberta? Like, just like to work on mm-hmm. stuff like if you want a gig but they don't need you you're like still <laughs> hey let me i still want to do this do you find other ways in Mirabel? um yeah i was a camera op a cam op for a friend's little production last year i i was gonna say recently but it's been it's been a while but yeah like i was on set and helping film helping operate some cameras um so like yeah not doing music necessarily but also getting involved in in a film in in that way yeah and did you find did did that yield anything yet or does that connection continue to this day with somebody you're you're associated with yeah it's uh gotten me some of my own uh filming gigs where i go out and do video for for people's performances and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, sweet. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why it's done. It's just how can you fit where you need to fit at the present time? Because if composers mm-hmm. were solving problems, 
they need something to uh, uh, you know help out their story well what if they're not at that stage yet because as you know as 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 and as as you and others will know oftentimes they don't hire composers till the last minute and their budget's mm-hmm. shot um and well you learn real quick those are the people you don't want to work with <laughs> but that's why you try to you know, move in earlier with production I'm like oh sure mm-hmm. yeah i could do that i could you know i could to work on this production or hold the mic or, you know, oh yeah, your dialogue was terrible there. Yeah. Give me, I'll use isotope and just clean, <laughs> clean this up to help you out. It's just, you need to put yourself in people's minds of, oh yeah, Mirabelle. When I first think of Mirabelle, I think of someone who helps, hmm. not someone who's looking for a job. You never want to look like you're looking for a job even if you're not working you're still actively working (laughs) it's nobody wants to hire somebody who isn't working and it's the old adage if you want something done get a busy person oh interesting yeah there's a reason why they're busy there's typically a reason why others aren't. That's who you're looking for. You're, you're, you're looking for people who you otherwise might think won't have time for you. But you're looking, but okay, I, that kind of made it sound like that person is a jerk. What I mean is you're looking for busy people. Like you're looking for people whom otherwise you might think you're bothering them. You're not looking for people who you can, who are totally approachable, I guess. Yeah, that, that actually makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So squeeze it in, and this is where you learn to be efficient. Economy of words, learning to write short emails, polite emails, learning to be friendly, supportive, communicative, but concise. Hmm. Move the train along. Move things along. Know when to walk away. But mm. but no one to to ride ride or die. <laughs> so but but it's all different. It's it's yeah. I'll, I'll stop there. There's there's mm-hmm. so much. There's so much Mirabel. How do you decide when a film is worth it to work on? If say they're they don't have a lot of budget to uh, allocate to to music, how do you decide that's that's something that you want to do? Um. Or you just don't whatsoever. <laughs> well, I'm now at the stage or of, of my personal growth where I feel as though it's okay for me to now say, if there's no budget, I want nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Like, just don't bother. There's too much to do, too much going on. Because usually people who don't have a budget also don't know how to organize and they're going to waste your time as much as they're wasting their own. And they're just always indicators. Look for indicators. Maybe somebody's super great to work with, but they're terrible at paying you. Hmm. As in, like, as in, they're terrible at paying you when your invoice tells them to pay you. Or maybe they're just awful people who are poor communicators, but that next day, that invoice is paid. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and primarily it's the message, uh, you know, is the message worth it? But also because if you if you're if you're working for free, you're just not going to be valued. If they don't have a budget, even if they're so sorry. Mm. Yeah, you're not valued. <laughs> mm. And so just just know that going in. 
you can still be nice and still and and directors can still be nice and still be jerks. And so they're just little indicators about how you want to be treated. And I think a lot of composers and independent composers are conditioned to be treated like garbage, um, mm. to be stepped on. We're used to being at the tail end of stuff. And there's a lot of a lot of negative conditioning that that goes on, I think, with composers. And then you tack on uh, how much would a disability contribute? Um, right. Uh, self-worth personal growth, professional growth, uh, social stigmas, um, shame, all that stuff, all that stuff can add up. And so that gets, speaks to urgency. I have no mm. time to suffer fools. Um, I want to get a lot done and I'm looking for people who want to get stuff done. Uh, but that took a lot of years, Mirabel. It mm-hmm. took a ton of years of, of understanding, okay, I'm a, I'm a composer, I have a visual impairment, um, not everybody knows that. So when do I disclose that? And then I have to fight for what I think my value might be. But since I'm not so experienced or stuff takes me longer because I'm visually impaired, maybe I shouldn't charge so much. And then that director sees, oh, that's Steve. I can count on him. And he doesn't charge so much. I wish he had more self-esteem, but he sure charges a lot less than I'm willing to pay him. And then they see you, they see you as the mark. They see you as the sucker. And they'll always come to you for the cheap stuff, but they'll never give you that when they finally get the, the eight-figure deal. Mm. You will not be a part of that if you don't know how to understand your own value, your own worth. Right. Yeah. Uh, t- telling people like how much you would charge for a project is also it's something that's it's so it feels really hard to figure that out <laughs> yeah like how you're saying like with your self-esteem and everything I think it's easy to lowball ourselves but obviously we don't want to do that but we also don't want to project it too high and then they might think you're so full of yourself and you're not actually worth that much but they don't know that you do. It's like you, you price yourself where you think you should be, but it's, um, well, let me ask you this. Have you asked the other composers on your show what they charge? I have not. Has any composer ever volunteered what they charge? No. How hard is it? Has it been for you to understand what competitive rates are it's been yeah it's uh it's not talked about very much and you do i think have to ask others and if they're willing to share you know their experiences then that's how you kind of find out and yeah well in my experience a lot of people are quite cagey about sharing their rates exactly (laughs) and i think that's stupid it's all gatekeeper (laughs) bullshit so Obviously, well, I'll start with this because I'll tell you. Okay. You know, when people ask me what my rates are, obviously the, the, the key is you flip it back on them. You say, well, what's your budget? You know, mm-hmm. and then they say, well, we got $1,500 and like it's like a 20-minute short film. And you have to weigh that out. And, okay, well, that's a lot of time mixing or whatever. And that's like, ooh, $2 an hour. <laughs> Right. Everybody has those fights and everybody has to find their number. And for a while I was like a hundred dollars per finished minute of music. And then I bumped that to 200 per finished minute of music. And now I'm at four or $500 per finished minute of music. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because that way, you know, on a decent budget, that's, you know, 30, 35K. Um, but you don't always get that. <laughs> yeah. That's my rate where I am valued. That's where I have valued myself and with people in the industry. I mean, I had, I had people in the industry just the other day say, oh, my God, you need to charge more. You know, oh, yeah. In the industry. I was like, I was like well, you know, three, four hundred sometimes, you know, you know, I'll charge if it's a commercial thing, like I'll up, up it up to 500, 600, because that's what you do for commercial projects too. just add 20 percent onto your rate. <laughs> That just just know that like I know why because it's commercial and they have more money and that's just what you do in the yeah, commercial okay. space. <laughs> it's just I don't know why, but like so, a buddy of mine is a is a cinematographer and his day rate for like uh, just like like projects is about eight hundred. But when he does a mm. commercial shoot for like a Target or something, his day rate is twelve hundred. Yeah. Okay. It just there's a premium on commercial work hmm. um, for independent or studio stuff. That's pretty strict. That's pretty rigid. It's, but, but, uh, but I, yeah. I also asked them, okay, well, what's, what's your budget? And they come back and because there's two types of budgets, there's a composer's budget for the fee for their time. And then there's the musician budget for hiring people like Mirabelle hmm. to come and play on it. So right. you ask them, well, What's your budget for, for music? Okay, you know, what's your budget for live music? And what's your composer's fee? Like, what's your, what's your budget there? And oftentimes, they're going to have no idea. And that's, that's a big warning. So, yeah, I, I do my best to get between three to $600 per finished minute of music. That's writing to hiring my team to having it mixed. And at the, it's, I just I give it off to the editor through WeTransfer or Dropbox or whatever it is, and, and I'm done. Like, that is finished product. Finished product. Um, like, three to $600 per finished minute. Now, that changes if they have a budget for live music, or it depends, like, hey, well, we've got $25,000 for this. And they say, here it is. Do what you will with it. Um, you know, we don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Then, out of that $25,000, I might only take home eight because mm-hmm. I'm going to spend 10 grand on live musicians and I'm going to spend a couple grand on hiring a separate mixer and maybe a couple grand on a sound designer to do some cool stuff that I don't know how to do that I mm-hmm. think the film needs. So, but that's me. Like it's a, an all inclusive type thing if I can help it. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I just upgraded my, uh, my bios um, this this morning uh, because I have this RAM that I want to get back up to 5600 and like it's just stuck at uh, 5200 and so like every few months I'm like I'll risk it I'll update my BIOS and see <laughs> if, <laughs> if I get the best RAM speeds um, oh did you build a custom PC yeah um, it did it was a lot of years of waiting to be able to do that and I went Oh, out! Um, <laughs> last year, I, I had I had a, a great great film I did um, about about bicycling, about cycling across America with with blind bicyclists, and oh wow, 
the budget was good. And I said, all right, I've been doing this 11 years or 10 years at the time. Like I'm finally buying my dream machine. Mm. And so I just, I didn't care. Um, you know, 12, 900 K and I got 128 gigs of Kingston Fury 5600 RAM and all that nerd out stuff. And I got an MSI, um, motherboard and I've got just a bonkers loads of SSDs. I've moved off of, um, hard drives and all everything. Mm. I just, the only thing I do are, are NVMe drives. Um, and it's just, but after so many years, I finally was able to buy what I've always wanted. Um, you know, but it's still, it's not even near the price of a, of a Mac. So <laughs> it's, it's, it wasn't that expensive. And, and I, I have a, I only use like a, what is it? A 3060. So even my graphics card mm. isn't, it's, it's just a typical graphics card, but yeah. I, you know, it's, so yeah, so I built it and I didn't, I knew nothing about computers and as a blind person trying to put a computer together, oh, wow. I was like, you know what? I'm up for a little torture. Let's just, you know, let's learn a new skill. Dang. And so I did, and thankfully it worked. But yeah, now I keep updating my BIOS, and I think I'm going to stop now. But um, <laughs> do you build computers? I, I do not, but I've been thinking that I, I, I would love to get a custom PC built because I'm running everything off of this gaming laptop right now, which, you know, it's holding up pretty well. But every time I do anything, like if I stream, if I'm editing, if I'm... If I've got a heck ton of plugins going on in my DAW, it sounds like it's about to take off. So the fan is going, it's going. So <laughs> yeah, looking into it, but yeah, it is, uh, it gets expensive. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've spent many times more on <laughs> software than than hardware that's for sure it's so daunting and i mean that's why i started able artist foundation was because like how like just because you're disabled doesn't mean you're low income mm. um and there i mean one in four people are disabled or, or have a disability uh, there are plenty of wealthy people who have disabilities but at the time i started aaf because at the time i was very, very low income. Um, and I thought, well, if it's this hard for me to, to, to build, to buy just a few basic pieces of software, let alone the DAW and the, the keyboard, like how can, of course I'm not seeing anybody else like me in Hollywood. I can't, nobody can afford it. <laughs> um, and so that's why I started Able Artist Foundation was to specifically support low-income people with disabilities. Um, mm. you know, so if, if you have a disability and you're on SSI or SSDI or your country's equivalent, because we have members from 30 different countries. So like you can uh, become a free member of Able Artist Foundation and get whatever you want from our partners for half off. Mm. Um, and that saves people money, but at the end of the day, it gives people time. I want to give people their time back yeah. because they're not too busy saving and waiting for 
stupid Black Friday to finally buy <laughs> stuff. That's years off your life when you're waiting for that crap. Right. How do you join the Able Artist Foundation? You go to ableartist.org slash register and it's an email verification and then the, the second and last step is you upload your I, your picture ID and your uh, SSI, SSDI, DLA, PIP, pension, uh, whatever your disability paperwork is for funding. So as in, like, if you get benefits as a result of having a disability or what, so whatever you want to call that, mm-hmm. that's the paperwork we need to see to then approve that to approve you for membership because we don't we don't want anybody to take advantage of this discount system yeah because i mean it's half off everything it's not select stuff off of spitfire's library it's everything nice (laughs) yeah so it's like hey bbc orchestra instead of a thousand bucks it's 500 bucks Mm. you can get that in june as well as january (laughs) Um, it's when you are ready because I want to provide disabled people with autonomy. A lot of decisions get made for people that shouldn't be by non-disabled people. They like to make decisions for disabled people. They like to talk down to disabled people. They like to put barriers around disabled people, let alone under Mm -hmm. other underrepresented groups. And they just put you in this box and that's where, that's where you stay. And Everything I do, I do my best to provide autonomy for a disabled person to provide time for them because things might take a little longer. Mm. So it's more of an existential, if you can remove the barrier of finances, you increase the time with your tool, which increases the amount of time you can can have towards having a chance to succeed as a musician or as a composer. So mm-hmm. it was more of an existential, like we need to support some people because Hollywood has done a terrible job or, or, or just hiring uh, people with disabilities. Mm. When did you start Able Artist Foundation? Technically we launched 2017, but like our first discount wasn't provided until excuse me, 2018. Just celebrate. We're actually we're celebrating our fifth year anniversary on like February twenty seventh. Wow! This year, congratulations! Thank you, thank you. It's amazing. It's blossomed. Like I, I didn't expect yeah. it to be what it was. Like I seriously, I had the idea for do for for Avalar's Foundation. I was living in Denver, and mm-hmm. I was in a car with my buddy Nate, and we were driving down I twenty five outside of Denver and we came to a stoplight and the idea popped into my brain about discounts for disabled people like me. Yeah. (laughs) And that's when the work began. And so I, and that was even back in like 2013. So like Mm. I'd been mulling around with this idea for years. And then finally in 2017, I just, I'd had enough and I just had to do something. It's amazing. (laughs) <laughs> I think so. We're, we're kicking a lot of butt. We're, we're supporting a lot of composers. We're getting people work uh, with, yeah. with some studios. We're getting people jobs. I just got someone hired today to uh, from AEF to, to work on a, on a show reel uh, hey. for a VFX studio all in Hollywood. So, so cool. yeah, we're getting people work. How did you go about getting these partnerships? Uh, 
I would go to a website like, um, let's take, uh, well, we have 46 partners. What I would generally end up doing is I would just go to their website, I would scroll down to the bottom, I would find a contact email or a 1-800 number and just see how high up the tree I could get. Chances were I could get to who exactly I needed to because, one, not a lot of people actually do that. <laughs> yeah. Because for some reason, people think there are barriers where there are none. Um, mm. And two, uh, I didn't. I wasn't asking for anything for myself. So I got to ask on behalf of an organization that I started, but I wasn't asking mm. Spitfire to give me half off all their libraries. Right. Like, I don't get free stuff. Even though I'm mm. the director and we've given out like over $300,000 um, mm. in discounts and grants, um, for all of these tools, you know, it's like, I'm not benefiting from like, like orchestral tools isn't calling me up and saying, Hey, we got this new Salu library. You kicked us a lot of business. Here's a free sample that does not exist. Um, you know, if I were a reviewer, I'm sure they'd toss me a copy, but this is business. And mm. just because I'm, you know, we're supporting orchestral tools, Spitfire, all these people are providing all these major discounts. That doesn't mean there are kickbacks because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's just, it's business and they understand it. I understand it. I forgot your original question. Just how you got these partnerships. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you just call them, <laughs> say, Hey, like I support this group. You know, this is what I'm doing. I'm a disabled composer and I'm looking to support other composers with disabilities all around the world. I have a, I have an email that took me a couple of years to really refine, but mm. I mean, my first partner, our first partner was CineSamples and Mike Patty. Oh, wow. That took me a couple of years to gather up the courage because I would follow him on Periscope, if anybody remembers oh, yeah. Periscope. Um, and I would watch his YouTube videos. And that's when I thought all of these, you know, heads of sample library companies were untouchable. Like I, I just thought, oh, they're amazing. Oh, Christian Henson, Mike Patty. Oh, they're, you mm. know, oh, they're gods. Oh, how could I ever reach out to them? We're like, nope. It's super easy, barely an inconvenience. Mm. Like it's, it's just, it's just more simple than people realize. But again, yeah. It's not be, but but it wouldn't have happened if I wanted something for myself. That's yeah. when they shove you to customer service. When you're asking for nonprofit base or something on behalf of something else, right to the top, right to the mm. top. Chances are you'll get there. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, just there aren't as many barriers in this world that, as people realize when it comes to stuff like this. Mm. Yeah, we definitely th we're in our own heads a lot more. Yeah. And we don't, we don't need them. We need to get into their heads. <laughs> so they hire us or they partner with us. This is true. They're like, they understand. Mirabelle's awesome. She understands <laughs> her value. Let's give her her full rate. Yeah. You know? You hear that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I found that with getting people on this podcast as well, like, I'm not, I'm not paying you guys. You guys are giving me so much of your time and... And that's amazing. And but like, I was so scared to ask the first couple of guests because I was so afraid of getting rejected and getting no's for answers. Um, but you know, a lot of the time, I haven't actually gotten an like I gotten a no once, but it's just like the timing didn't work out. So I asked again 
couple months down the road and and it worked so yeah it's uh just reaching out and just you know making the first move is is okay it can be okay <laughs> yes it's okay to make the first move yep it's okay it's like it's not that scary <laughs> no what's and you're right fear of rejection is something that that we all work with and especially musicians and composers who may or may not be the most gregarious mm-hmm. type of outgoing people but we're also look i personally love one-on-ones and mm. that's where i'm comfortable i'm not as comfortable in big groups even though i can stand in front of as you saw a bunch of people and I just, I love it. And <laughs> I could, I, I could, I could enjoy being a public speaker. Um, yeah. But I much prefer one-on-ones like this. Like I, I, I seriously set apart, set aside as much time as I could at VIFF uh, mm. with each and every composer who wanted to talk. Um, mm. I spent that time wherever I was, whenever it was, um, in a public place, <laughs> like it's, it, and it's like give them the time that they needed to ask what they felt they wanted to ask. Because mm-hmm. one thing I learned that I've done is it's like there's a lot of validation that younger composers, including myself, and I still do. I'm, I'm, I, I do look for validation. And I noticed like a lot of the questions that people were asking at the Michael Abel's concert. Right. Um, Every single one of those questions was from composers who were looking for validation about their own process. Mm. If you were, I was just sitting there, I was like, okay, Michael Abels will say, yes, that's an affirmative way to go. Because everybody's (laughs) worried about wasting time. They're worried about Mm. doing it wrong. And, and not one question (laughs) um, had, had to do with, with, like Michael Abel's or, or whatever. It was about process. Right. And that is that fear of rejection mentality. Mm. That's where that comes from or that that's part, that's part of it. And so somehow we have, we have to get around that and you did. And now we are peers, Mirabelle. We are (laughs) musicians. We are composers you are doing a great show. You are giving me an opportunity to come on your show and talk about whatever we want, including my work that's important about disability justice in Hollywood. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting another show with a composer who's hopefully providing a reasonable amount of quality for your listeners, <laughs> you know, and we are peers and you have every right to be here just like everybody else does. Um, and it's like for people with disabilities, this is another thing that, that I, I think, well, especially people with disabilities need to get over is gratitude. Hmm. Um, there's this sense, and I've heard it multiple times about, oh yeah, give it to it, give that job to a disabled person because they'll be super grateful. Oh, and like they'll work extra hard because they're grateful. Um, and I have I've heard that numerous times. And what happens is is well, yeah, because. I have felt that way where I need to be grateful for everything because I'm, mm. I am living in a, a world designed for sighted people. And so mm. when something works in the world, I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this worked. 
this was easy. Oh, thank goodness. Whatever this is in this, in this world, like, oh, my Apple Pay worked. I didn't even have to look at my phone. <laughs> like, sweet. I'm so grateful this worked. That type of approach in social conditioning, just from living in the world, can put itself onto what it's like as a professional, too. Hmm. Oh, I'm grateful for this job. Thank you. I'm not going to fight on your low budget. I'm just grateful to have it. Um, mm. And then they, they can take advantage of you. And and yeah. And so part of my role or, or one of the challenges that I want to combat, and this is for non-disabled composers as well as disabled composers, stop being grateful. Hmm. And I half mean that tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> So there's this, this sense of, um, I don't know, like there's a sense when people are coming up, like they, they're trying to be too obsequious, too thankful. Mm-hmm. Stop saying thank you all the time. <laughs> Say it once. <laughs> hey, thanks for the interview. I really appreciated it. Looking forward to, to the next time if we can talk. Take care. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to say it multiple times. You don't, you don't have to... It, it's just you don't have to you 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 provide respect, courtesy, all that good stuff, but gratitude gets in the way of progress. Mm. Um, and I need to think that out a little more because I was talking to my dad the other day over um, over lunch, and he's a he's a pastor. Oh yeah. And so he's big into theology, reading theology, and I was talking to him about dad. You know, I'm kind of pissed off at the Bible. And he's like, well, why is that, Steve? I said, well, because it's like super ableist and I'm tired of being considered one of the least of these. Uh-huh. And that's, I, and I won't, we don't need to go down this religious path so much, but, you know, I don't know if you're, if you're Christian or not, but, you know, in the Bible, there's a lot of least of these talk. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Oh, let's mm-hmm. make the blind person see. Oh, that person can walk again. I'm like, screw you, Bible. I'm not broken. I have a disability. I'm not less than, you know, Mm. it's like, it's, and so we had this fun, it was a fun debate, you know, (laughs) you know, about, you know, the, you know, faith isn't good to disabled people and how that gratitude and being grateful within the church can, can, also convert into gratitude as a disabled person in the society and those two things working. Actually, I'm kind of thinking about this off the top of my head right now. I'm combining two ideas I've had mm-hmm. previously. The, the addition of um, humility within the church and gratitude of, of people with disabilities at whatever scraps they're given socially mm-hmm. in the world having those two elements superimposed on what is now a career in film (laughs) where there are very few, if any, composers with disabilities who actually talk about it, let alone there is no path into this industry that anybody can follow that's like everybody else's. Yeah. All those things can compound onto one another. And so no wonder so many people quit. Mm-hmm. No wonder so many people call them, or, you know, we consider ourselves composers, but we work on one thing a year. 
It's like, because there are so many. So I have real biased disdain towards humility. And I think part of that is because of everything I just laid out. I had been that way for far too long. And now I am grateful for when I need to be or when I want to be. Right. I'm humble when people, uh, when I feel I, I should be. It's reading the room. It's Kindness, cur- kindness and courtesy will get mm. you further than gratitude and humility will in this business. Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of battle with that, but. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially with how you just laid everything out. Yeah, I could see how that what you're saying about too much gratitude. <laughs> it's almost as if like it, it, when you repeat something so many times, it just the meaning gets lost that it, it takes away from the meaning of it and and all that's behind it yeah yep. it's like uh it's like uh, you're telling your partner your partner telling you that they they love you 10 times a day yeah how about how about you just tell me once boy it's mm-hmm. gonna mean a lot when you tell me that once you know mm-hmm. said it 10 times and i just kind of have to i don't want that to be muscle memory for you or for me yeah. you know and so neither should gratitude it's a disservice to gratitude to be so gracious. <laughs> I mean, I also, I guess it depends on what you're grateful for. And, you know, I mean, you could be grateful for lots of other things that might not be, you know, in the in the way that you just talked about it, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I was just like, if you say thank you too much, people think the conversation's done. Hmm. Thank you is as good as saying goodbye. And so you don't want to say thank you very often. (laughs) You want the conversation to continue. So uh, it's, it's almost like thank you is being used as a crutch to, well, that's an ableist term. Um, It's using thank you as a way to say goodbye because you're uncomfortable. Hmm. I think I think over yeah, over okay thank thanks Stephen thanks <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a there's a lot I don't know um what else we're, we're kind of gone down, down some interesting paths I didn't yeah. expect to go which is great um also we were talking about validation a little bit and one of my Patreon questions comes from Fong who asked how do you feel about the way your creativity is being experienced by others. How do you react to criticism or praise and what emotions are involved? I guess that was like a lot of questions in one. <laughs> Sorry. Validation. You know, it's hard because, you know, you've done well when nobody has anything to say. That's kind of the, the subtractive nature of, of underscore. You've done your job if nobody complains. But that also <laughs> means you may not get as many compliments as you would like. Like, um, like I don't like, I, I still question, do I even write good music? Mm. I mean, I've got imposter syndrome syndrome all over the place, but it's not a humble brag. It's like, it's a serious question. Like I've written music for like, okay. It sounds, the number sounds bigger, bigger than it actually is. I probably provided music for about 200 short films, features, documentaries right Mm. 
Um, most of those are shorts. So it's, I'm not trying to blow myself up here. Again, there's that humility that, like, that, <laughs> that we do to ourselves. Like, yeah, we're done a lot of stuff. Be proud of that, Steve. Um, yeah. But like, I don't have any stuff on soundtracks. My stuff's not on Sony. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any of my music um, as licensable material. Like I don't have it streaming on Netflix. Like like mm-hmm. my music's or streaming um what I mean Spotify. Yeah, like like I just I don't have record deals. I'm literally job to job, um, gig to gig. If it gets distribution, sweet. But what I'm concerned about is the paycheck from that director, producer at the end of the day and moving on to work on the next project. And so to be honest, I still don't know if my music's all that great. I think I'm I think I'm competent. I think every once in a while I can whip out a killer melody that is just yeah. on point and people are just humming that and they love it. But I know most of my stuff is yeah, it's fine. You know, it's mm. good, it's fine. Um and that's sometimes all people need it to be. So validation is tough. I would definitely say you get it in other areas of your life other than composing. Because <laughs> even with my disability work, my advocacy work, it's hard to tell if you're doing any good. It's hard to tell like, oh, yeah. So like we just work to me and this other group I work uh, that I founded. We worked with the Recording Academy to make the Grammys more accessible. Hmm. Um, live audio description, ASL interpretation, um, you know, a nice usable ramp for wheelchair users, all that stuff. And you still don't know, like, there, where's the validation? Because people yeah. are watching it over broadcast. They're not emailing you to say thanks for doing this specific thing you have no idea mm-hmm. it is out into the ether and so i think mm-hmm. you need to be real self-aware and 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 understand where your own confidence comes from because if you're looking for validation in this business wrong business <laughs> it's just you got to love it because you love doing it and that you you can work on yourself but don't mm-hmm. expect directors who don't understand the language of music in the first place to be truly appreciative anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so long as the check clears and you you dig working with that person because they treat you as a peer, mm. that's cool. Like, that's validation. You know, mm. do you have a working relationship? I am friendly with a lot of people. I don't have friends in the industry mm. and that's why i always laugh and like oh yeah i have this friend and this friend and this friend like no you don't you met them at a party <laughs> like no i am friendly with so and so we we don't talk very often but i have these great working relationships with people and that's that's my my validation there i i don't know if that answers the all the questions but yeah how then um, how do you kind of check your ego at the door when you're working with a director? Maybe maybe the director doesn't want to use the music that you made for this specific scene or something. If they have notes to give you. 
Um, well, let me ask you this, Mirabelle. Are you intimating that I, I seem to come across a little arrogant or conceited? <laughs> no, I'm thinking that I'm just coming from like, I personally would, you know, struggle a little bit if if I, or I have struggled a little bit with receiving criticism or like it's constructive or you know it can be and it's nothing against me personally but I often will take on take things personally if I don't you know if I don't take an extra step to realize this and so I'm just wondering if maybe that happens that has happened to you or anything I want you to explain a little more about you like if you wait are you saying if you if you don't if you realize this can you can you say what you just did again well like i guess an example would be you know because i studied flute in school i went to study music in school and so like you have private lessons weekly lessons and you go in and you get you receive feedback of your playing and and stuff and so like it's not a personal attack on you or anything but i have i think there is a point in time uh, where like that's how I felt like I felt like the feedback was pointing to me personally not like the flute and the music but it is really just about the music right and it's a separate thing from me as a person well yeah they're not I mean ideally you're <laughs> working with a, a, a tutor who's not attacking you yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And they definitely weren't. It's just like, you know, I have felt that way though sometimes. Like, well, where? Why do you think that is? I mean, that, uh, why do you feel personally attacked, even when they're very um, apparent that they're talking about the music? I think that I think maybe because we wrap ourselves up in, we identify ourselves in our work sometimes, and we're not separate. I, I, I get. I get what you're saying, and and to be honest, that's all. Honestly, I, that's how I identify myself. Like, I am a composer who does disability justice work. That is who I am. <laughs> <laughs> like, my job is who I am, and I know there are back and forths about whether that's good or that's bad. But I love what I do, so I don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, see, this is my biased perspective um, as a disabled composer, because like. I would think if, if someone's looking for validation or, or if trying not to take things too personally, mm-hmm. that to me says that there isn't enough balance in someone's life. Then, if if it is strictly music to that you're seeking validation from, then I would think that there needs to be other areas in one's life that there should be attention paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean that as it almost sounds like one would be using music to hide within, which is something we all do. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I hide within my music too. Like sometimes like the melody says it better than any words can. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm not excluding myself from this, from this group, but it, it sounds to me that if there's too much of that going on, that there need, needs to be some health spent somewhere else some way with with i mean with diet with exercise with verbal yeah. communication with somebody uh hugging a friend um affirmations because this is a business it's like it's 
do you, you know, it, it is such a hard question. Because like even, even, I mean, I have imposter syndrome right now. I was just having a conversation mm -hmm. about imposter syndrome uh, two days ago with my friend Abby because I was freaking out at like, I, I had some very, very, very important meetings. Oh, yeah. And I had five of them in within two days. And I was nervous. I was so nervous. I'm like, but I've been here before. I've been here before. I've done it before. And it was like, no, I've earned the right to, to be here. I've, I've worked so hard. Um, and I think the, the key is when you're ready, you won't need someone else to tell you you've worked hard enough to know you belong there. And I have gotten to that point in some areas, but still, sometimes I feel like, you know, like I don't belong some days, but it's... yeah. More often than not, now I'll tell you what, it actually happened. The, the, the switch flipped in October after my trip to VIF. Yeah. yeah. After 10 years of working as a composer and then doing disability advocacy for like six years, um, that's how long it took until October after I got home from the VIF AMP trip where I realized I belong. I belong in these rooms with Tony. I belong in these rooms with so-and-so. I understand it's okay for me to feel comfortable here. But it took 10 years. It's not easy, and I, and I still kind of feel like an imposter. And I was like, just like I just said, I felt like I belonged back in October for months. But even two days ago, I felt like an imposter going into these rooms where I knew I belonged. Yeah. So that's why there's no, it goes back to what we were first talking about. There's just, there's just no one answer. It's You have to constantly be working on yourself. Just like you're, mm -hmm. you know, don't just get used to using Spitfire tools. Like branch out and use some, <laughs> some, you know, uh, some, some of the unfinished stuff or, or, or some of the, of the rasp sounds or, you know, learn how to use synths from Audible Genius and like get yourself uncomfortable to keep learning your skill set and like, you know, listening to stuff that you're uncomfortable with, like infectious grooves or like psychedelic funk from the 80s, you know, <laughs> like stuff that's totally outside of your wheelhouse because mm -hmm. you're trying to push yourself. That's how it should be with your personage, too. But honestly, I'm spending a lot of time on this question because I think it's really important. And there is some yeah. fragility out there. I do admit, I think there's there's some fragility out there, but also kind of justifiable because it's not a nice industry and it has not been kind to underrepresented groups. And like, here's, here's the, I mean, uh, as you may, re, uh, may know, the comp film composers, it's mostly run by a particular subset of, <laughs> of, of, of people. Yep. And, and I believe in intersectionality and in supporting underrepresented groups. And, um, and so how do you know you're welcome? Mm. Yeah. How, how, how is it to understand that I have a disability, but I also look like every other composer, out there, <laughs> right? Mm. And like, but I have a disability, so I actually don't fit there either. Mm -hmm. So, I have to work on my own validation too. 
Um, but I think that's but that's part of the social structure and, and understanding and appreciating who we are on multiple levels, not just as musicians, but we owe it to ourselves, especially as people, if we are a part of an underrepresented group, to understand that we, we must love, oh, this sounds so corny. We got to love ourselves. We got to understand it's okay for us to be in the room. We belong in the room. You belong in the room. Um, restrict the amount of gratitude. Be, you know, restrict the amount of humility. But always be courteous, be kind, be a team player, being somebody, be the mirror bell that when somebody needs something done, they know they can turn to a mirror bell because they know they're going to get it done. Mm -hmm. And then they might call you to play flute on something or might call you on to set for some other reason. But it gets you in the door because they know you can be counted on. Yeah. I think that's where validation comes from. Not that they call mm -hmm. you the first time, but they call you the second. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> it's a, it's, that is the type of validation that I'm looking for. Mm. The second or the third call. Amazing. Um, we got another Patreon question from Chris. You've scored for a variety, a, a wide variety of films ranging from shorts to documentaries to feature films. What are some of the different creative challenges you've faced when it comes to composing for these different types of projects? Well, it depends on the project. It depends on, uh, this is where the needs assessment that every composer should do with every time they're being interviewed for a job. Because a question like that, I understand why it's being asked, but that type of question indicates to me that, that Chris may not have enough experiences being interviewed um, to understand, oh, okay, well, it's this type of film, so I'm going to ask these sets of questions, right? That's what it sounds like. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, there's a, a lack of experience to be able to answer that. So, Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, these patrons are not even, they're not necessarily musicians. So they're, you know, they're just interested. Oh, okay. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's good to know. Um, yeah. That's when you come but, up with your own set of questions for whatever it is. Because, because if you don't know the answer, you get the other person to talk. Like Chris just asked me a question. So now I'm the person talking to give them the answers. That's exactly what Chris should be doing in an interview. Hmm. If you don't know something, when in doubt... Turn it around and ask an open-ended question to the other person. <laughs> Tell me about this short film. Tell me about this documentary. What have you worked on in the past? This is why you, just like in Hollywood, people in Hollywood research the bejesus out of you. <laughs> you should be researching the bejesus out of them. Mm. Because a lot of those questions will be answered. Seriously, I go into, into a lot of interview or a lot of meetings where there is practically a dossier on who's going to be there, <laughs> what their role is, what the agenda is, mm -hmm. CTAs, calls to action. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like there is this stuff laid out so that you can get the topsoil questions out of the way so you can get to the meat of the matter. And so that comes down to asking questions because then the answers, they will tell you the answers. If you don't know, other people will tell you what you need to know. You just need to learn how to ask open-ended questions, not yes-no questions. 
Tell me about your film. Tell me about your experience on this film. Why'd you write this film? They might tell a story about, well, such and such, and I fell on this chair and the chair broke and like the wood <laughs> splintered all over the place and I made this horrible crash sound and I had to spend months designing my own chair and so I'm making a film about making a wooden rocking chair. <laughs> but then like you as a composer might say, oh, so I'm gonna go grab a bunch of wood bang on it on some microphones, maybe bust some stuff open, use some cracks for some, you know, you know and, and dump it into a sampler and make some sounds of busting wood, like, like on a chair, cracking stuff over your knee and turning that into sounds to enhance the, that part of the story of the film that's not necessarily may not be in the film, but it's a part of the makeup of how the film was being made based on a personal experience. And so mm-hmm. how do you make whatever it is unique to you, to you, to, to the score, you just ask open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't know, it's okay to ask them. Say, like, <laughs> you don't know the answer to something. Don't waste your time wondering if it's this and this and this. Ask them. Be mm-hmm. willing to, to look a little foolish so you don't waste a bunch of hours and then get mad at yourself for not asking what you should have weeks or, or months earlier on a project. Yeah. Yeah. Chris also asked who or what are some of your key inspirations? Uh, my main inspiration is Rachmaninoff, <laughs> Sergei Rachmaninoff. Um, for non-music people, he was a 19th century, early 20th century Russian romantic composer. Uh, and I love him and his <laughs> music. And then I grew up playing his, uh, a lot of his, a lot of his piano stuff. Um, that's my jam. Um, Composer-wise is is James Horner, and then after that it's John Powell. But outside of that, I don't say I don't listen to a lot of uh, film music. It seems like a lot of people don't listen to the type of music that they make, or like that's part of their work. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, example. I I'm a big fan of a of a metal band called Lorna Shore. Hmm. Um. I'm also a big fan of Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like I I like my angry dinosaur metal death metal <laughs> as much as I love my angsty romance songs. Mm. Um, you know, and I was just God. She has this one song like dun, 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 "Sexy Baby," and like and she says oh, this yes. "Sexy Baby" line. I'm like. And I think of it's it's awful because I think of this show back in the late '90s, early 2000s called Ally McBeal, where they have the, this dancing baby. <laughs> it's like a oh, no. one of the original types of screen generated 3D images that they put into like live action TV, uh-huh. and it's just a dancing baby, and. It's the most obnoxious thing that they did 20 years ago. And so whenever I hear that, that line from the Swifties on the Swift song, I just, I'm like, not Allie McBeal, not Allie. I think I'm, I'm just like, not a legal show from the nineties. Um, oh no. But uh, oh, no. anyway. But, uh, All right. Last question to wrap up this podcast, um, because it is called making it. What does making it mean to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I currently feel 
fulfilled. Maybe there's a difference between making it and feeling fulfilled. But like I feel okay, I have never worked on a studio feature film. So like I've never worked on a film from Sony or or Apple. I've been mm-hmm. looked at for stuff, <laughs> which <laughs> which is really cool to know. Um, but all of my film success has come from independent film, which is brutal. Um, it's that's independent film is super hard. Well, so is studio. I, I shouldn't say that. Okay, so <laughs> I'm sure studio films are just as hard <laughs> as independent films. Like like it's just they all have their own struggles. I, I'm I'm not yeah. saying this properly. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think even though I've had multiple award-winning films, done some cool stuff um, as a result of music in the industry, like I would consider that having made it. But in my eyes, I still think once I score like an Apple original film, Mm-hmm. That to me would be, okay, I guess officially I would say I would consider myself publicly as making it, mm-hmm. right? Internally, personally, I've, I'm already there. Like I've already made it. Um, with the types of projects that I'm working on, the types of success that those projects have had, the impact those projects have had, because I work on a lot of social issue stuff, like that's my favorite is to work on meaningful issue films. That's why I love documentaries. The work is meaningful. It's being recognized. Um, the pay isn't super great, but I'm making an impact. Um, yeah. and, that, and that feels really good. So in that respect, internally, personally speaking, I believe I have made it, but publicly speaking, I have not. And I wouldn't say that until like I get like a hundred K for a budget for a film. That's because like my biggest budgets are like in the 20, 30,000 range. Mm-hmm. That's some straight up brass tax information right there. <laughs> so like, that's like the most I've ever been given for like a full, whatever is like between 20 and 30,000. But that okay. is everything like hiring all the musicians and have everything mixed and hiring an orchestrator and and hiring Mm -hmm. assistants and all that. And so I take home a fraction of that. So I just want Mm -hmm. to keep that in mind. Um, In the disability space of advocacy. Oh, I've, I, I've made it (laughs) (laughs) like it's, you end up in these same rooms with the same people um, Mm -hmm. with entirely different reasons for being there it's a it gets to be kind of a smaller group when when you know you're in a position to to create effective change in the world and mm-hmm. and, and that's when i think you can identify okay you you may recognize you are doing some good in the disability advocacy space because you are coming across the same people and you know what they've done and you've researched them and you know they've done this and that, and, and if you keep coming across them and you're in the same rooms, like, well, okay, this must mean something, and I must acknowledge that. Because I also think it hurts you if you don't acknowledge and affirm in areas you have made it. 
Mm. And this is why I think humility can get in the way of progress. I don't deserve anything, but I have worked real hard to be able to have access to certain things to make to encourage studios to do certain things differently mm-hmm. and to get people in the room to under, fully understand and know they understand why it's important that every film have audio description. Mm. Every film have has, you know, uh, 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 captioning and that, that, you know, you're getting so-and-so at, at, at such and such studio that they are now, actively looking for a disabled person to fill a certain role. Yeah. That's when you know you've made a difference. And that's why I believe Hollywood and disability, disability is taking over. And the 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 fear, the stigmas, although is is still quite there, mm-hmm. it is less and less. Um, and big time people are recognizing it and understanding how they can do better. Um, and, and they are recognizable names and it's like, when you can get those recognizable names on board to be like, you know what, I'm going to do this next time. This was really helpful. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be scared of somebody with a limb difference, or I'm not going to be scared of hiring a wheelchair user. Like Mm -hmm. it's removing that stigma. Disability is not a dirty word. Disability is a great Mm -hmm. word. Um, it's in, and there's a, Oh, who said this? It's like Neil Marcus. It's like disability is an art. It's an ingenious way to live. Hmm. Um, and I like that because it's always operating in a world not designed for you. So you get to perpetually kind of be creative (laughs) and just do things a little differently. And, train your brain a little differently, which is why I intentionally hire disabled people on my teams. Oh, great. I want people who think differently. I want people who talk differently. I want people who have different lived experiences that some are some pretty bad experiences and some are all right. Mm. But some people who have to work in, in the same world as I do, that's just really challenging. Oh my gosh, all this inventive news, inventiveness all on, on one team? Of course I want this. You know, and it's mm-hmm. conveying that to other people in the industry that look, innovation isn't hard. You, you, everybody's just been looking at the same places for innovation. When you've got a quarter of the population who's ready to go, who's going to blow your mind. So I think in the disability advocacy space, I acknowledge and I, I am I'm pleased to say I do believe I have made it. Mm-hmm. But in the composing world, I'd still like to, to have a couple of things under my belt. And again, I'm in my 40s and I started doing music when I was, well, film music when I was 33. So like mm-hmm. I got into a super late. And hopefully I'm, I'm doing this into my 70s and 80s. Like, I seriously do. I don't want to retire. So yeah. hopefully I can do this for a long time. So I've still got some time to, to publicly, officially make it. <laughs> but inside, I, 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 think I'm, I think I'm doing all right. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Mirabelle. I appreciate you asking me to to come on and, and, and chat with you. And um, yeah, thank you for bringing me on. 
Where can people find you online or if they can listen to your music anywhere or anything, find out what you've worked on? stephenlettness.com all of my like that's s-t-e-p-h-e-n-l-e-t-n-e-s.com and those are all my handles too facebook instagram twitter um uh, uh, you know just uh stephen letness at stephen letness uh website yeah imdb has my show reel ironically my show reel is on imdb but i don't have it on my website no <laughs> which is kind of silly but that's just you just make silly mistakes um yeah that's uh and then that's as far as the music goes but as far as the advocacy stuff goes um i have three organizations my my primary is able artist foundation that is for uh disabled talent who receive federal benefits like ssi ssdi or their country's equivalent and that gets you discounts on stuff. That's ableartist.org. There's uh, oneinfourcoalition.org, oneinfourcoalition.org. That is, we're an intersectional group of working uh, professionals in Hollywood from talent agents and managers, directors, producers, Oscar noms, uh, visual effects, composers, post-production, um, all, all those types of people. But we are working people in the industry and we advocate for um, hiring more people with disabilities, making Hollywood more accessible, like more stages, more sets accessible, and authentic representation. So you don't hire Alec Baldwin to play a blind guy. You actually hire a blind person to play a blind mm -hmm. guy or a blind person. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And then uh, the last one is called Ramped. For recording artists and musical professionals with disabilities, .org, ramped.org, rmpd.org. And that's specifically for the music industry, the Grammys types of like live performance shows, mu musician specific, whereas one in four is all profession specific for Hollywood and AAF is for composers specifically mm. for the industry. Amazing. Thanks again for coming on and sharing your experiences and everything. And you're doing a lot of amazing work. And like you've said, you've, you're doing a lot of impactful work. And uh, yeah, and, and I am now very aware of how often I'm saying thank you. So there's that. <laughs> well, 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 you, I appreciate that you brought me on. And it was really nice to, to have a, a good conversation with a fellow musician and uh, talk, talk about business stuff and it's I uh, appreciate you being interested especially for um, a, a part of society that doesn't get it, enough attention that needs more attention mm -hmm. uh, people with disabilities there are a lot of us out there there are a lot of people in the industry there are tons of people with disabilities in Hollywood they're just afraid to talk about it And but I should say they, more and more are becoming less fearful good it is no longer um i think it's it's safe to say you cannot use the blanket statement people are afraid to talk because that is changing now fewer people are afraid to talk or i, I mean, i'm sorry sorry more i'm sorry <laughs> that wow I, that's totally backwards more people are 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 open to discuss 
and be open about their disability because it's really not a big deal. <laughs> it's just a part of a lived experience. So, uh, you know, more, more people are open about it and that just makes it uh, everybody more comfortable as they should be because it's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but thank you for bringing me on. Uh, it was really mm-hmm. nice chatting with you. Um, yeah. Hopefully see you soon. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Maybe maybe in October, right? Yeah, maybe at VIF again. <laughs> maybe at VIF. That's right. That's right. All right. Talk to you later. Take care, Mirabelle. Bye.